Welcome to the Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I am thrilled to bring to you Sadie St. Lawrence today. She is she is a trailblazer, a former engineer, a data scientist, a consultant, and the founder and executive director of Women in Data, a nonprofit organization that helps and fosters diversity in data careers. She is a powerhouse. She's not only created a career of her own in the corporate world, a traditional sense, but she has also created this massive nonprofit movement that is so impactful for women who are looking to create and accelerate their careers in data. Now, I found Sadie really inspiring. Now, I find Sadie to be a really inspiring woman for two reasons. On one hand, she created something that wasn't there before where she saw a unique need. She tapped into that and she built a career on her own. She's doing things and leading people and teams beyond what she would probably do if she was just sticking with a traditional career path. But I also really like and appreciate and respect Sadie because she's so down to earth, so eager to give back, to learn, to be vulnerable and to empower and inspire other women. Now, I'm a woman and my past career is in finance and private equity. And I was often one of the few women in the room. And I think this work is so important to show and to support women who feel like minorities, who feel like they're not taken serious enough or feel like there is a glass ceiling. I do a lot of this work. I'm really passionate about it. And so is Sadie. So I'm excited to share this interview with her and hopefully leave some nuggets of wisdom with you, but also things that you want to do in your career and how you see yourself expand and the vision that you have for the impact and the legacy you want to leave in this world. So without further ado, here is Sadie St. Lawrence. I want to welcome to the Manager Track podcast, Sadie St. Lawrence today, who is CEO and founder of Women in Data. Sadie, so good to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for joining. To get us started, Sadie, can you tell us a little bit more about what got you started in Women in Data? Like what was causing you to think this is something the world needs? Yeah, so I really love the saying that necessity is the mother. And for me, necessity was the mother of starting Women in Data. I was getting my master's degree in analytics at the time and was so surprised that there was only one other woman in my cohort. There was only one woman who was a teacher. And I knew that this industry was going to be huge. This was in 2014. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and I said, where are all the women like this? I love this industry. This is exciting job opportunity. Why aren't they here? And you know, it really inspired me to, first of all, just start by creating a community because I knew that if I was even going to survive in the industry, I needed my own community. But also the opportunity that is in the field of analytics is so broad and is continually to grow. I want to make sure that we have all voices in the room represented as we start to pave this new way in the future with technology. That is 
so important. I love that this spark came to you really early on, right? I remember that to me, I studied finance and I was definitely in a minority as a woman, but it didn't really occur to me <laughs> until later in my career that whenever I went to conferences, I would look around and not see a whole lot of women around me. So I love that you got that spark early on. And it sounds like you had back then already a hunch that you were going to do something about that. Yeah, I like to say, and as also as I look back when I started it, like sometimes you get the calling mm-hmm. and you have no idea what for or what the path is or what the way is. And I will say the first two, three years of women in data, we really weren't on the map. We really didn't expand very much. And I think a lot of that came from one, I had to grow myself to then grow the organization, but also sometimes you get that calling and it takes time to really see the fruits of your labor. And, you know, I grew up in Iowa, I'm a farm girl. And it really reminds me back to those times as a kid, you know, you'd put these little seeds in the ground. And as an inpatient child, you'd be like, okay, now what happens? What's next? And I think sometimes we forget those little principles as we start organizations or we're starting our career and we want to get to that next step. It takes time and there's seasons for everything. And, you know, the season for women in data took at least two, three years before we really started to see things flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, And now the growth is in a way unstoppable. So, yeah, it's just amazing. And by the way, I also think that one of the reasons why I love having you on the podcast is because. Um, so many leaders who I work with or I'm in conversation with, they have this drive to do something and to do, do something big. And I always say, think career, think impact. Don't just think job. Meaning like there's so much that you can do and work off your to-do list and, and get things done in your job. But then we forget that there's a bigger picture to this. And what you're Mm -hmm. building with women in data is like your thought leadership and your impact on a way broader scale beyond your immediate job and your immediate to-do list. And then understanding that that's a marathon. That's something that you're in for life or for a a big chunk um, of your career, you're dedicating it to a mission, to a purpose. And I also love that you brought up this, like you have this calling, even though you might not know how it's going to transform or show up in, in reality to follow that calling and like leverage your voice and your, and your insights to, to figure out as you go, you can't really plan it until you do it. A hundred percent. And, you know, I love that you said, you know, you have to know your reasoning. Right. And I always say like, you have to come back to your why. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you don't know the how, but you know, if you know your why you're going to get through any how. And one of the things that's gotten me through my how is when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to my future self. And in that letter, I, I wrote that, Hey, you're going to do something that's going to change the world. And it's going to be very impactful. And as I got older and older, I was a little scared because I was like, what if this isn't going to come true? You know, I had this idea of doing something great, but I just don't see anything happening. And that's where that, that dedication and patience and knowing your purpose behind it comes in because eventually you will see those fruits of your labor. 
And, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I've seen all of them yet. I hope there's more to come. I think they may change over time, but coming back to that purpose is just so important and it will get you through all of those times when things aren't looking so bright. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in a year like 2020, that's something to keep that bigger picture in mind and realize that a lot of us who want to have a bigger impact might be going through time where it's all about just putting in the work and staying consistent and trusting the process and knowing that this is, this is why there is not, not everyone reaches the same level of success because a lot of people will give up or will slow down or their beliefs will get in the way, but just doing it and doing it and staying in the game until you win the game to leverage that quote. It's so important. So speaking of your why, actually, this is something that I uh, want to talk about. When you created and founded the organization Women in Data, what were some of the challenges that you saw early on as you started um, um, attracting members to the community that these women were challenged with, that you wanted to solve and help them with? Yeah, so I mean... The biggest thing was it was a it's a fairly new industry just in general. So you know the term data science got coined in uh, 2011. We started in 2015. So the industry of itself is still trying to define itself. And one of the biggest things that we encounter was just spreading out awareness to the possibility of the career and the industry altogether. And then once people had that awareness, the second thing was in a way unlearning or reteaching them what that meant. A lot of people had the idea you have to have a PhD to get into this industry and you know all these types of requirements. So some of it was unlearning or reshowing them, no, you can look like this or you can be this type of person and still get into the industry. So the biggest thing we encountered first was that awareness aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're moving more into the stage of educating our members and really helping them advance in their careers. So I, I understand like that awareness building early on, especially since it's a new career and a sort of a new title or new role. And then when you said... Under, helping them understand that you don't need a PhD to get into the field. It sounds like a little bit also demystifying what it actually is and making it more attainable to people. Yeah. So okay. I use this term democratizing data. And yeah. to me, like 2020 has been the best year for us all to become data literate. I mean, all the things that are happening in the news, you really yeah. need to understand and interpret information. And that's, I think, really where that demystifying comes is you don't have to be a data scientist or a data engineer to to be able to know these skills and to be able to put them to use. I mean, marketers are needing to know uh, data literacy skills. Obviously, financial people have had to need to know data literacy skills for a long time. I mean, pretty much every area of your business needs to have these skills. And that's where a lot of the demystifying comes is when we're, say we're women in data, we're not just focused on getting into machine learning. It's Mm -hmm. all of the different business parts that would use those data skills because data literacy really is the literacy you need to have in the 21st century. 
when you think of women in tech more broadly and you see you probably just like I do you see people who want to advance really ambitious really eager to learn and then they come to a place in their career where they feel stuck or they feel impatient or they feel like it's somehow I'm not getting there I'm not progressing enough what suggestions do you have for people who are listening to this or watching us who feel in a place like this in their career? Well, number one, I first want to acknowledge that it is 100% real. We all get to places. I myself have 100% got to places where I feel stuck and I can't break through that glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. What I have to do is set time limits for myself because I will keep continually making excuses or say, maybe if I try this one more thing, I'm going to be able to break through. And so a big thing for me is to set a time limit and say, okay, if nothing changes within three months or six months, I wouldn't put much more than that. I'm going to start looking for an environment that I can thrive in because what I found is it's really the environment that you're in that allows you and back to my farming analogy, you know, back to allows you to grow if you have the right water and the right fertilization and all those things. And so when you're hitting that ceiling and you're not breaking through, it may be time to look for a new environment. And I think we're in an amazing time right now where so much work is remote. The possibilities of jobs are um, even higher than they've ever been before and the level of opportunities. So what I would say is don't look at this time in 2020 as a bad job market. I look at it as an even better job market because you're able to have more options and find that environment that's a right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that you said there's a, you set a time limit to it because if I say if in three months nothing has changed and then for the next three months I'm going to give it my best, I'm going to give it all, I am going to show up the way that I want to show up, I'm not going to uh, hold back or justify or blame, I'm going to be my full self and if in three months nothing has changed, then it's time to find a new farmer and a new environment better water, better soil and all that. Let's talk about leadership for a moment because you are, you on one hand have worked with a lot of people throughout your career, but now also in Women in Data, you are working with people that volunteer and working with people who are on boat with the mission that you are sort of keeping inspired and you have to keep motivating them. And so as a leader for yourself in the organization, what is something that you wished you had known when you first started leading people? I wish I... I don't know if it's known or more so understood because I feel like there's a lot of things that are in my head and it takes a while for them to like get into my heart and feel. And then once I feel it, then I'm like, okay, I can do something with this. But I would say that would come from not everyone wants to be led like I want to be led Mm -hmm. and not everyone thinks like I think. And I know it just like everybody would hear that and just say, oh yeah, hundred percent, I agree. But I think it's not just knowing that people are different than me, but really understanding their working styles and why those are beneficial. I love like the Myers-Briggs or the 16 personality types of tests, just to get a little bit understanding of how people think. It's not an end-all be-all to who a person is, but it really helps me understand as a starting of a conversation, how that person may think a little bit differently than me. And that then allows me to 
take more time to listen, to watch, to learn from them so that I can hear what do they need versus what I think I would like in that situation. Yeah, obviously I couldn't agree more about it's in your head, but it takes a while for it to get into your heart and then ultimately change your actions and the behaviors that you demonstrate. You said that so well. And one of the things that I, uh, that I notice a lot of people read books or they look at uh, a YouTube video or sort of, sort of the how-to step-by-step guides, and you understand that intellectually. And when I work with people and I give them a leadership competency assessment, they say, I get all this intellectually that I should, but then actually doing it, that's a whole different ballgame. And it is exactly that you understand intellectually and then you have to um, channel it and feel it because if you're not internalizing it, you're not really coming with that attitude. It's, it, it, there's, there's always a discrepancy and that can create conflict um, in itself too. And then that, that personality type assessment, I think that opens the awareness simply, right? Even if there's not one type that is the best and that will t- totally explain someone's behaviors, but it opens up the understanding that, how huh, interesting, I'm this type and there's 16 other, 15 other types. That means like there's 15 other ways to look at a problem. <laughs> Yes. There's 15 other ways people you can show up. Or if you take the Enneagram, there is eight other types. And then if I look at this, there is another seven different types or three different types, depending on how you look at it. And I think just understanding this, oh, this is me. And then here's all the other ways. And this is why they show up differently. Opens up so Mm -hmm. much potential. I love that you shared that. Such a powerful insight. And I will say one more thing on that knowing is not just knowing others, but also knowing yourself more. So there's a type that I am when I'm happy. And then there's a type that I am when I'm stressed. And it's really important for me to know what is my leadership style when I'm stressed, because it usually goes into a more control, more micromanage. And so when that happens, I can see that. And then I can deal with myself which is what the problem usually is versus dealing with, you know, the people that I'm, I'm trying to manage at that time. So it, it goes both ways in terms of knowing others and, and knowing yourself. <laughs> Isn't it always asked first? <laughs> yeah, it really is though. <laughs> I try and get away from it, but then it always comes back to me. You know, you know? I teach my kids that when you point the finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. And it's funny, they pick up on this. They're like, oh, I get it. It's not like they don't blame anymore since they they heard this. But (laughs) as adults, I find myself like, hold on a second, three fingers pointing back at me. Let's start with that. Yep, definitely. I want to expand on what you said about leadership and and the journey that you went through as you started expanding your impact. When you look at it today in, in where you are in your career and what you've built with Women in Data, like this fast-growing organization, and you have reached 200,000 people in data science, how have you yourself changed as a thought leader, as a leader in this space over time? Yeah, one of the big areas for me was knowing where to put my time as our community grew, you know, how hands-on I had to be with different people changed. And that was really hard for me to mature and go through because I I think I mentioned before I go into control mode, right? (laughs) 
And so that control side of me wanted to be everywhere and do everything. And I was getting burnt out and, you know, people weren't getting the best version of Sadie either. And so what I had to do was really focus on my own leadership team and how do I lift them up and our own chapter leads to make sure I'm investing my time in them because it will trickle down to our whole network and our whole community. And so that was a big learning for me was I can't be everything for everyone, but if I set my priorities and know who I need to focus on and devote my time to them, like it will expand exponentially and you know it was so rewarding to go through that process because when I saw our leadership team or different chapter leads start to step into those leadership roles and create their own communities they have so many more ideas and and did it differently and were exactly what that community needed and so they were also able to fill a gap I was never able to fill even if I tried Mm mm-hmm when you said that, it sounded like, oh, it's such an amazing growth journey and it looks so nice and it sounds so good. But I can also imagine, because I hear this a lot, I'm like in the grind with people going through this process, that there were times when it was really hard because letting go, especially if you have a tendency to hold on to things when it gets stressful or when you're in, in challenging situations and letting go of that control, even if someone doesn't do it the way that you would do it, doesn't feel comfortable. Right. Can you recall a specific time when this happened and how you responded and how you were able to alter course? Yeah. So one of the things I used to, you know, I started the first ever chapter and then it expanded to all these chapters. And so once we started to rapidly expand, I knew I could no longer lead that individual chapter anymore. I just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. And so handing that chapter over was so hard because that was like my baby that was like the community where it all started and so I didn't want to leave it I would still go to the meetings but during the meetings I would see my head would go through all these things of like we need to improve this 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 and so what I had to do was I would just create a note on my phone and I would enter it into the note. So I would feel like my own voice was heard for myself. <laughs> and then I would wait a week or two and I'd look back at that note and I'd see, okay, are these actually valid or was this Sadie in the moment having a really hard time letting it go? And I would say there were about 10 things that were valid. The rest was just like, that's not how I do it. And so it was hard for me to let go. But yeah, that was definitely, you know, I remember as a pivotal moment, that was a struggle for me to take up to that, that next step. What a, what a great tactic there that you applied, because I, I can see how you probably in the moment thought this is a big deal. And then a week later, you realize eh, not a big deal. I can actually let go of that. But in the moment, it didn't feel that way. So writing it down for yourself and feeling no. like it's it's at least captured somewhere. <laughs> I'm like somebody heard me. So good. Theory, you know. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. Sadie, before we end our conversation, I have a couple of rapid fire questions I'd love to ask. Yeah, definitely. You ready? The first one would be, what's a tool that you use all the time that you wouldn't want to live without? 
Oh gosh. So I get made fun of a lot for this because I work in technology, but I still use a paper planner. So yeah. everybody always gasps when they see me like pull out this book and I'm like, <laughs> let me check my schedule. And they're like, you know, there's these tools. And I'm like, I will not live without it. I'm like, I have six years of data in this paper planner and it's going to stay with me forever. <laughs> I'm with you. I love writing and paper and pen. <laughs> Definitely. Um, what is a book that you wouldn't want to live without? Oh, so I hope this counts as one, but I love Chopin and that's part of the reason I've moved across the country. And so the Chopin etudes are just like, to me, like a musical score that I could never live without. So not an English literature book by any means, but definitely um, my pride and joy in terms of paper bounded up. <laughs> That's awesome. What is one question that I should have asked that I didn't ask? And what would your answer be to that? So I would say one question is, what are you excited for in the future mm. with women in data? And my answer to that would be, I am excited to bring in people from more even diverse backgrounds. So from more service industries, um, people who are at risk of automation. I think it would be really beautiful if, you know, people who potentially could lose their job to automation could gain a new job that's even higher paying and more flexible, creating the, you know, the machines and the algorithms and the things that maybe displace them from one career. I think they will have a lot back to offer in another avenue. And so I'm excited to, to start to bring in more of those people from different backgrounds. What a great goal to pursue. And thanks for bringing that up. That is a great question that I should have asked. And it's really important as we're looking into 2021 and way beyond. So speaking of women in data and your vision and your goals, people who want to learn more about you, where can they check it out? Yeah, so you can go to womenindata.org. And then our social handles are the same, womenindata.org. And then if you want to learn more about me personally, you can go to sadiestlawrence.com. And again, the same social handles of just Sadie St. Lawrence. Awesome. And we'll definitely include those in the show notes. So check them out and connect with Sadie and check out Women in Data. Just either if you're in a tech career, this is interesting. If you're a woman or even a man who wants to support or sponsor the organization and this mission. But also, I think Sadie is one of those role models for us to look at in terms of thought leadership and leadership beyond the role to really have an impact in this world on something that she cares about. And she had a hunch that there was something that she could contribute and she pursued it. So thank you, Sadie, for sharing your journey with us on the show and for being a part of it. It was fabulous to speak with you and learn more about uh, what you're up to and what you've experienced over the few years as you grew this organization to 12,000 members. Thank you, Sadie, for being on.
Thanks so much for having me. Gosh, I hope you feel as inspired as I do by Sadie and her story and her journey of growth and leadership growth as she builds her community and her network and started to elevate and give more authority to the chapter leaders. I really appreciated her interest in sort of the self-awareness through the personality type assessment and seeing how that shows up in her day-to-day work and in her interactions. And then also when she shared that she realized, especially in stressful situations, that she got too controlling and had to let go and how she observed in meetings when she wanted to jump in and say something because she had this attachment. She had this higher level awareness of, "Mm, this is me wanting to do something, but it may not be the best and the most effective way to do it. And this is that part of distinguishing, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? And when she said, I'm started to write down my notes versus just saying them and then like sit on them for a moment and, and think about, is it really important for me to share that idea? She made that distinction to say, I want to be effective as a leader who's scalable, who can elevate not just myself and my role, but also all the chapter leads and the organization as a whole. So when you elevate yourself, you let others underneath you in the hierarchical sense elevate as well and letting go of some of these things as challenges as it may be. And she was saying how challenging it was for her to let go of her original, like her baby chapter. That was um, powerful to see how she handled that. And she mastered it over time by doing the practice of writing down and being aware of what she's doing and, and the results she's creating creating as a result of that. Now, I, like I shared in the beginning, I think Sadie is a trailblazer. I can't wait to see what else she will be doing over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I know it'll be fun and exciting to watch her career journey. I encourage you to reach out to Sadie and to check out Women in Data. So Sadie is on LinkedIn if you want to find her there. We're going to also include links in the show note, of course. And then Women in Data is one word, womenindata.org is where you can learn more about her community, which fosters and encourages the diversity in data careers. And with that, I'll see you next week in another episode of the Manager Track podcast. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.